Welcome to Breaking the Couch, a weekly conversation demystifying what happens in and behind the therapy scene to support your healing journey. We're your hosts. I'm Dr. Dowson, a licensed clinical professional counselor, a certified school psychologist, and a trauma specialist with Playfully Psyched. And I'm Dr. Joe Harchi with Software Psychology, a licensed clinical psychologist. We're here aiming to provide you with mental health tools to address the cycle of generational trauma across the age span from infancy and childhood to adulthood. For more information, visit our Instagram page of Breaking the Couch or our website, breakingthecouch.com. While we hope you love listening to and learning from our podcast, it's not a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Okay, so today we have a really exciting person joining us in our talk. We have Dr. Angelina Norte, licensed psychologist and nationally certified school psychologist joining us, and we're so excited to have her here. We thought it would be really good to talk about um, Black millennials and trauma in today's episode because it's one of the areas of expertise that Dr. Norte brings to the table, and I think this conversation is going to be much needed and maybe a little heavy at times, but you know, do what you need to do to ground yourself, to regulate, and buckle in for this ride. So, Dr. Norte, I think that as we were talking offline, you kind of mentioned really maybe a starting point for us today could be thinking about Black millennials and institutional trauma and what that looks like. And so, I'm I'm ready. I'm here for it. What are some of your initial ideas on this, or where where should we go? Yeah, so I was just thinking about where, you know, what is relevant to millennials, especially Black millennials. And I think oftentimes in, you know, spaces, people talk about the different kinds of interpersonal trauma or the individual traumas without really taking a look at how different systems have impacted a whole generation. And so I can say that a lot of the folks who I work with um, are Black millennials and are really credentialed, highly degreed, highly certified, all of the things and the different institutions that they've interacted with to get to where they um, are have significantly um, traumatized them, whether they actually know it or not, or um, whether that language is even available. I I can say that I see it um, often in session. I, I love that. I agree. I, first of all, I agree. Um, but I love that you had this piece about like, you're not sure if that language is even available to them to be able to frame it as trauma, to be able to um, talk about what they're experiencing as trauma. I think that's especially important because, I mean, I'm a Black millennial, right? Um, and I think, and I'm educated in trauma, so there's a difference. But I think when I think back to earlier in my past career, the closest thing I came to it was like, oh, I'm stressed, mm-hmm. right? But I don't even know, I wore it as a badge of honor, I think, mm-hmm. um, as this like, I, I've talked about this before, but like the, a strong black woman for me, right? And it was just right. like, I'm a strong black woman, like I can do anything. That was literally my mantra, right? I'm mm-hmm. a strong black woman and I can do anything. And not to say that's a bad thing, but it also, there were ways in which I wasn't showing up for myself, where I couldn't show up for myself because my system was dysregulated. Um, I was burning out and I didn't have the words to explain that. And I wouldn't have felt safe necessarily telling anybody that because then I would mean I was admitting that I was weak in my framework. 
Absolutely. Uh, so for myself, I am a Black millennial as well. And I had to come to an understanding of, yes, there are many things that I can do that doesn't mean that I should do them all. Mm -hmm. And so in, I think in the different institutions, if we're thinking, for example, of a higher ed space or oftentimes a workplace space, um, a school space where all of us go through of different kinds, different types, and we can get into that as well. But in all of those spaces, I think for one reason or another, there's this ingrained message of you're not good enough. And so I think for a lot of us, we've internalized the message that, well, I just need to work harder. I just need to try harder. And so then when we are not performing for one reason or another, we think that it's a it's an individual within us problem when it's mm -hmm. actually not. It's like some of these ways that the system is set up is actually not set up for us to succeed. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, we <laughs> we need to take a, a different kind of lens with that than what we do now. No, I, I absolutely agree because I mean, the system, the institution is not set up with us in mind, right? Was not founded for us in mind, was not founded to allow us in these spaces initially, right? And so we have broken way into these institutions and that meant that they are trying to then fit us into their molds us into their rules and regulations. Mm -hmm. um, and you talked about in the different spaces and I go all over the place. So if you need to organize me, let me know. But what came to my mind was, um, so I went to PWIs, predominantly white institutions uh, for my first degree, first like two degrees. Mm -hmm. And then my third degree, so my specialist degree in school psychology, I went to an HBCU, mm -hmm. right? Oh my gosh, this is a totally different experience, but one of the things that really always stands out to me is something that's just so small, right, to other people. And but it was my first time experiencing this. So as people know, my hair is locked and I have pretty long locks. But before they were locked, it was just out. I would wear, you know, Afro, twist outs, different type of styles. And I remember walking down the hall one time at my HBCU, Bowie State, shout out BSU. But <laughs> I was walking down one of the halls in the building and um, the dean of the, I had never, first of all, I had never even like interacted with deans at like larger PWIs that you just don't. Um, the dean stopped me and was like, is a, she's a black woman. And she was like, oh my gosh, your hair is so beautiful. And like, she just started talking about my, and I was like, I literally was like tearing up. Right. Mm -hmm. To mm -hmm. be told by someone in power in this institution that my hair was beautiful, something I had struggled with for so long at, at that point. Like this was when I was newly, uh, you know, re releasing myself from relaxers. Right. And someone is like your hair in its natural state is gorgeous. I mm -hmm. see you. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Honestly, that moment revealed some of the traumas that I experienced. The, you know, like that was the, an unpacking moment for me. Like life can be like this. Like right. I was struggling before and life can be like this. And so when you talk about these institutions and like higher ed and workplace, right? It's even these little things that the institutions are criminalizing us for existing, you know, criminalizing us just for existing. 
Mm. I wholeheartedly feel that and I wholeheartedly receive that. As you were talking, it made me just think about the concept of affirmations. And in the example that you gave, that was a huge affirmation. Mm-hmm. And like you said, in receiving it, then that's when you realize, oh, I've been hurt a lot of times. And in order to continue to navigate this space, I kind of put it in my file, close it up, thought it didn't impact me when it really does. And so if I think about myself, something that I've teeter-tottered a lot about is how I talked. So when I went to grad school, that was the single most thing that often got critiqued, how I talked. And Mm -hmm. so whether it's I'm talking too fast, I'm talking with my hands, whether it's something else of the sort. And I, again, in order to navigate the space, I did what I needed to do with it. But once I got out of school, one of the things I realized was that I was not coming off authentically to the people who I wanted to connect with. Mm. And so that was really when I realized you need to talk like yourself. And once I started doing that, it was perfectly fine because I could walk (laughs) up in the school and they're like, oh, we see you, we know you. And I could go, oh, I see you, I know you too. All Mm -hmm. right, now come to my office. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so, yes, I I think, you know, just navigating these systems, it really impacts our authenticity. And so we try to fit whatever mold it is based on, you know, whatever we're getting the negative message about, sometimes so much so to the extent that we lose ourselves, we Mm -hmm. self-abandon, we do things that compromise who it is that we really are. And then, like you said, we're stressed, we're having these negative health outcomes, we're having all of these things and we're wondering, well, why? I've met whatever we've received as being successful Mm -hmm. but it's like this idea of success is hurting me um health wise mental health wise physical health wise so on and so forth so Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. and i and i you know risk to say that it helps you even what quote unquote professionally in terms of are you the person you want to be are you showing up as the professional that you want to show up as it can be stifling when you've spent so much time being told, stop talking about your hands, you're talking too fast, why are you talking like this, right? <laughs> and as you can see, like I talk with my hands, right? If people were watching this on video, like I, I very much so talk with my hands. Um, and there are just so many ways that people just tell you to be smaller, be less in order to uh, fit here, right? And we have to sometimes come to the realization that, well, maybe I don't need to fit here to be, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then maybe I can fit here and be all authentically me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But coming to that realization is, can, you know, hit you like a ton of bricks sometimes uh, because I think that some people, you, cause you go from one institution to the next, Mm -hmm. right? Like you Mm -hmm. said, there's school at whatever that looks like for you. And even if you don't go on to higher education and you you go into a workforce, that's still an institution. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. those rules, regulations, policies, and procedures are often not (laughs) designed with us in mind, Mm -hmm. right? And so you're continually just continuing to stifle yourself in ways or be stifled. I don't want to even put the blame on you, right? But to be stifled by a system 
And so it can be hard, even when you have that, if you experience that, if you're privileged enough to experience that bit of freedom, quote unquote, where you're like, well, what, am, what if I just try to show up as me? Mm -hmm. um, that is a scary, that can be a really scary thing. No, for sure. I have two thoughts going in my mind. One is that a really good friend helped me to understand the difference between fitting and belonging. Mm -hmm. And what she said was, you know, specific to navigating these kinds of spaces that we're talking about is that I belong in any space that I go into. Will I fit? Mm -hmm. No. And like you said, I've also come to a calm about there's certain places I don't want to fit here. That part. Whether it be because the ideology is not good for me, it's not good for people who look like me, um, whether it be because of some other reasons, there might be a reason to not fit. But do I belong here? Absolutely, yes. And so I think that shift for me helped me to just be confident, more confident when I'm in different spaces and also to really like take up space. Is it still a work in progress? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> You're not perfect. <laughs> right. Um, but but that to me was such a mind cha mind changer, because, again, a lot of the institution institutional trauma has taught that you don't belong here. People like you don't do things like this. Mm -hmm. And so you even shouldn't be here. You should be lucky that you're here. And it's like, uh, absolutely not. I belong here <laughs> probably more than you, but that's a different story. Um, and then the other piece here about, um, oh my gosh, what was the last thing that you said? Because I had a thought in my mind and it went away. <laughs> oh, you were really trying my, my, my recent long-term <laughs> memory. Um, <laughs> said that it can be really scary to make that change, like to, to try to show up as yourself. Yes, 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 yes. And so I think that part, when I think about session, I think that is where I see folks get really stuck. Because if we've been in these systems for X amount of years that have taught us all of these things of don't be yourself, be less than yourself, you know, when you're working on, okay, well, I should assert myself and I should have excommunication and all of these things, when then you actually are in the space and it, you have to, for example, give a presentation, mm -hmm. you know, that's when it may be super anxiety provoking because then you're standing there questioning do I know enough? Am I going to stutter mm -hmm. over my words? If I do make a mistake, is it going to end up on my, you know, end of the year evaluation? Is this all of the implications, right? And so because of that, I see a lot of folks trying to show up as perfect, mm -hmm. right? I want to be the perfect, and we can really fill in the blank, whatever, because yeah. I can say, even if we move outside of like the workplace or higher ed, it shows up in relationships too, right? Where I see folks, well, how can I then be the best parent or how can I be the best partner? Mm -hmm. And it's like, we, because of all of these systems, I think it just does not allow us to be human, to be able to make mistakes and know that there is a place and a space for you and you're not going to be crucified or that you just to know that you are good enough just exactly the way it is that you are and so i think yes there you know we're talking about um the institutional trauma of it but it shows up interpersonally so much mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely i mean i think about you know especially in some of these elitism design institutional experiences that you may have some like what came to mind is 
psychology and how we become psychologists, right? And so the, uh, you know, I don't know what your experience is like, but I know for mine, and I think even Dr. Jaharchi isn't a black millennial, but I think that the, the, the pressures that existed to try to get this license, the, the degree is ridiculous, right? But how many hours you have to accumulate and you have to, it's super competitive trying to get to, you know, your, your externship sites, your practicum sites, your internship, right? And trying to like fit in all these places because at least for me, it was this, I think that people don't think about it, right? But when you are a marginalized person going into an institution that is very white and governed, right? They hold all, all sorts of layers of power in your ability to make your dream come true. Yes, 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 yes. That's such a good point. And I think th the ability for someone else to hold all of this power um, for your dreams is where a lot of the dreams actually get distorted, right? And that's why institutional trauma is a concern. Because if you go in, even if we think about little kids, right? Little kids, mm -hmm. we send them to school, right? And they're full of life. Um, and you watch some of them over the course of years. And it's like, is this even the same person? Mm -hmm. And it's like, when, again, you get those messages, you're not good enough, you're inferior, you're inadequate, whatever dream that you came in with, it gets destroyed. And if we think about, you know, racism and all of these things, that is actually working to that end. That's like oppression at its finest. If you have a mass group of people whose dreams are distorted or whose dreams are gone, mm -hmm. people just are going by day to day. Yep. And so going back to what we were talking about before, about like even showing up, it's like, well, why should I even show up? What's the point? What's the point? It don't matter if I show up, nothing's going to change. I'm mm -hmm. still going to get this, you know, this negative, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I, to me, I think where I am now and how I think about these things is that dream distortion that is the most problematic for me. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense because it, I mean, it feels, it seems defeating. That's how the dream gets distorted, right? Like you said, why even show up? Why does this even matter? Because it's not possible. This dream is not possible for me. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that what gets tied into that kind of goes back into what we said a little bit earlier. What gets tied into that that's problematic for me is that a lot of people loop it into this isn't possible because I'm not mm -hmm. enough. I'm not smart mm -hmm. enough. I'm not capable. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. think that's why this conversation is important because it's, this isn't this isn't about the core essence of the human, the person. Mm -hmm. This is about the institution marginalizing, oppressing, and pushing you down, distorting your dreams, and inducing trauma into your into your self-system as a human. Right. Right. And I, we, you know, in my work, I work with a lot of mostly Black women who are struggling with this, and it's that I'm not enoughness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, so we're, we're unpacking and going through the trauma recovery journey because of this, because of this institutional level issue. Mm -hmm. That they've been told through, throughout their lives, because like you said, this isn't just this starts from the moment you step foot in a in a school building. Um, I mean, we could go and think about the institutions, hospitals, and what's happening to you know black millennials in hospitals and black babies in hospitals, even right. At that institutional level, they are telling us 
that we aren't enough, we don't matter, and that it's our fault. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's where that piece about, well, if you just did blank better, right? If you just mothered better, you wouldn't have this problem. If you would have just studied better, you wouldn't have this problem. If your presentation was better, you wouldn't have this problem. Um, but if I you think- were just nicer, you wouldn't have this problem. If you were less aggressive, you wouldn't have this problem. If you, why is your hair looked that? You wouldn't have this problem. If you right. just dressed a little bit more professionally, you wouldn't have this problem. <laughs> Right. And it's kind of like, who even created this rule for these problems to exist? But I think that so many of these oppressive rules are so entrenched that for the most part, they're not questioned. Mm -hmm. Again, even when we're the people experiencing it, we don't question it because it works so sophisticatedly and so covertly that you don't even know that this thing is there impacting you. Um, and so I think like, those are some of the mechanisms, even when we talk about trauma that we really need to bring to the forefront, like this is working very silently and very covertly and very well, actually. And so I think until we start to be able to put the pieces together, um, fast, (laughs) faster than it exists, um, that's just how it continues just to get replicated, like on a mass level. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, this is timely in the, in the sense that um, what I'm, I don't know if you're finding this in your practice or if either of you are finding this in your practice, but what I'm seeing is, you know, now that the pandemic is shifting or has shifted and more people are going back into, or thinking about going back into working in person, talk about the trauma and nervous system dysregulation, Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's like that two year period that many people experience where they could like kind of recover. Right. Like be in their own skin a little bit, like have cameras off, not have to worry about, you know, respectability politics at work and all these things. The things could be a little bit more masked because we weren't continually on all eyes on us, like all ears on us, whatever, we they, we weren't continually on. And now they're going back into these spaces and the institutions are expecting things to go back to status quo. And people are like, is something wrong with me? Cause I like, I, I have people who are saying like, I used to be able to do this. And now I'm like exhausted within 20 minutes of being at work. I don't want to be there. Or I'm not able to sleep because I'm so upset about having to go to work tomorrow. Or I don't know what's wrong with me, but like, I don't want to do anything. Like I don't, when I think about work, I don't want to do anything. And I'm like, that's trauma, boo. Like that. Because they're back in the hands, the institutional hands of white body people that look like me, the racism, Mm -hmm. the oppression, they're back in that. Uh, They were there always, but that two years of, like you said, camera off, that whole thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like a respite almost. Right. And now here we we trying to throw you back in the fire. Back in the like, abuser's hands. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like we, you thought you were free, did you? Yeah. It makes me think of, you know, what we call now the great resignation and how if you disaggregate mm-hmm. that data, you see that it was black women who were resigning the most mm-hmm. from, you know, oppressive workspaces and things of that sort. It also just makes me think of you know, the two year period where people are able to um, calm their nervous system and stuff like that. In in some of my um, work, I've seen people asking, well, what's wrong with me? Like, 
am I too sensitive now? Like I used to be able to to deal with this. I used to be able to go through the fire. And to me, that's sad, right? It's sad where part of our idea of success is being able to deal with assault and violence and, um, you know, daily microaggressions, so on and so forth. And some of them are not even micro. Some of them are just straight up macro. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. (laughs) Right. And so it's like, that was part of our idea of success. So that now when our body is literally saying no, we're like, well, what's wrong with me? And actually the question is, what's right with me, right? Like, Mm -hmm. thank goodness that my body is saying no more of this. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think a lot of us don't yet see that. The first question is, what was wrong with me? Because I used to be able to tolerate and now I can't. Exactly, exactly. And so it seems like I'm, me, I'm broken. It's like, no, 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 no. Like you said, your body is noticing this. You are waking up to, you know, the reality that this has to change. It's not mm-hmm. sustainable. It's so interesting because if you think about it, right, prior to the two-year experience or prior to the pandemic, people were living in a sustained state of trauma, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And like, it's that survive. Like I'm a survivor, you know, and I have such a mixed relationship with that word because we also use it as, well, I'm, I'm surviving, right? Like I'm surviving and people don't know what it looks like to thrive. Mm-hmm. Right. They don't they don't know because we were living in survival mode, which is not supposed to be a like a place where you live. It is supposed to be something you go into temporarily to survive and then you come out of it and you thrive. And when you have so many systems that for your lifetime. Right. Millennials are like, what well, I don't know, between 25 and 40 or something like that, like. Who for 25 to 40 years, you've been told it's your fault if you only if you only did better by entire systems year after year after year, experience after experience after experience, macro, microaggression after ma- like, and then you're like, and then you have a two-year window where there's a little bit, and it's you know, it wasn't completely because there's other things happening in the world too, but you have this little tiny window of respite. And then you're expected to go back to normal. And it's like, I'm not going back. You're not putting me back in those chains. Like, I can't. You got to figure something else out. Yeah. When I think about millennials, I think about a group of people who are going to find a way to get whatever done, done. Mm -hmm. I think about a group of people who are so persistent. It's like... If I want to, I don't know, accomplish this, I'm going to go after it and I'm going to make it happen um, come hell or high water. But I think that speaks to a lot of navigating all of these systems really from birth until adulthood, where literally that was the only way. (laughs) And so now after having done it for X amount of time and then having this respite, um, you know, for the last two years, A lot of folks are realizing, oh, that's not going to work no more. And for real, it wasn't working before. It was literally just getting me from day one Mm -hmm. to day two, from day two to day three. Mm -hmm. And so now I think what is coming is, okay, well, how can I have like 
a sustained life that doesn't burn me out and where I'm actually doing things that fulfill me. And I also think something I've noticed a lot about, I can say a lot of the Black millennials I work with, they do care a lot about community, right? And so it's like, yeah, how can I be good? And how can my community community be good without burning out? And I think that is what a lot of folks um, are trying to find answers to now in terms of like lifestyle. I love that you brought up community, right? Because I think, you know, yes, the, the Black community isn't a monolith. Um, and at the same time, one of the common threads within Black communities is the sense of community, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The sense of togetherness, the sense of I want to do well, but I want us to do better. Like mm-hmm. I want us to come to this together, right? And the institutions don't think that way. Institutions are me, 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 individual, right? The one, like, you guys are our workforces so that the one can succeed. Like that's why there's this top down. That's why we have the, we're not gonna get into capitalism today, but like that, <laughs> but that's why, you know, we look at pay scales and things like that, right? Why do the people at the top that do the least amount of work in some ways get paid the most? Well, because mm-hmm. an individual, they're working from an individualistic model. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, and they don't think about disbursement of resources in the way that people in the black community do. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it makes me just wonder, like, do you have ideas? What are ways that people can, I know it's a big one. I'm trying to put you in spot, but what are some ways that, <laughs> that our listeners can, um, can start to heal that can start to think about how they care for self and community, how they um, pay bills. Cause we got to be realistic here. Right. Even millennials who are doing the thing and, you know, financially successful, what that looks like for them, they want to be able to sustain that quality of life, that financial stability, and which is the thing that keeps them sometimes tied to these institutions that are harmful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, that's a big question. I think it's multi-layered. The thing that comes to me first is just this idea of we heal in community. And so if we heal in community, I think that one of the most important things to do is for all of us to find our communities. And I say that going back to a point that we talked about earlier, which is a lot of the systems that we navigate really kill our authenticity. And so if we're going to heal trauma, whether it be institutional or interpersonal or whatever it is, we have to be comfortable and safe in communities that represent who it is that we are. So I think some of that is going to be finding community. And I think that's a lot easier said than done. But I I think that that is a, a starting point or even for folks to start to if even if it's in a a one-to-one relationship a friendship a romantic relationship even those can be starting points for community building and then you know go from there but i really think that it is that community model that is going to really allow people to to show up from you know some of this trauma that they've experienced Mm-hmm. Oh, I think that's beautiful. I think if you're ever interested, a part two would be needed because what came to me, and we don't have enough time to cover it, but what came to me is you're asking a group of people who, while community is very important, 
have been told they have to do it themselves, right? So you're asking, so some of them have an identity that is, I'm independent and I can't ask for help and I can't, you know? And so now we're saying, yes, you are strong and you are valuable and this isn't your fault and it's okay to ask for help. And I think that's going to be a different, a whole different kind of shock to their systems, their internal nervous systems, right? Of like asking for help. Wait, what? Building a human, wait, 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 I'm sorry. You mean you want me to be the one to like come up with all the resources for the whole community and then disperse? And you're like, no, 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 I want you to be a part of the, the healing process. Mm-hmm. Too. I think that's um, another episode for us. <laughs> yes, because even as you started talking about it um, just now, I was like, oh, I know where this is going. And yes, absolutely, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Right. But mm-hmm. that's being in opposition to everything that the system has taught us. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. Dr. Norte, I am so appreciative of everything you shared. I learned so much from this episode and what you had to say. I'll kind of recap, but because I am white bodied, I may miss the mark. It's very likely. So just jump in and tell me, no, those were not my words. This is how it's better summarized, please. So we talked a little bit about institutionalized trauma and how systems have traumatized black millennials. We talked about stress and negative health outcomes while trying to survive in in and out of PWIs. We talked about being told to be smarter and coming to an authentically you after being pushed down and squeezed by systems throughout a person's life and intergenerationally. One of my favorite things is that we talked about people belonging and always belonging. And then we also talked about fitting in. And so like the difference between belonging and fitting in. And then we talked about how it shows up interpersonally so much as well. We talked about the toll on the nervous system of being back with the abuser, right? Being back in the abuser, the institutionalized systems, abusive hands, and actually asking what's right with the person instead of what's wrong. the person if it is hard to make that adjustment and then finally we talked about one of the kind of ways of healing through community and finding that community that feels right and then of course maybe a part two with that thank you so dr norse it's been really wonderful having you on the show Mm -hmm. uh how can people reach out to you if they want to find you if they want to ask questions where are you Sure. I am on social media, not super active, but I'm there. <laughs> um, so anyone can find me on my webpage. It's sage, S-A-G-E, wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S, dot C-O. There is no M. That is not a typo. Um, <laughs> and I am also on, and that's the same, sagewellness.co is also an Instagram page. And then for my personal one, it's underscore Angelina Norte um, on both Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> Almost forgot for a second. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yep. We'll make sure that all of your contact information is in the show notes. And again, for our listeners and our viewers, we just want to remind you that you can reach out to us on Instagram at Breaking the Couch. Feel free to tag us in your stories, uh, comment on our posts. We are looking for your engagement. We'd like to know what comments you have, what questions you have for us, topic ideas, anything, throw them our way. You can also visit us on our website, breakingthecouch.com. There's a survey you can fill out if you have topic ideas that you want us to cover, comments on how we're doing. We, We take it all. 
And we, of course, have our bookshop. And our bookshop really helps local bookstores stay in business. And we get a small kickback that helps produce these episodes because they do cost them some money and some time. So it'd be helpful if you buy books from there. You can always find us on YouTube where we have captioned videos for people who need to access it that way. So until next time. If you are looking for a therapist for yourself or your child, you can visit our websites, playfullypsych.com or softheartpsychology.com. We appreciate you joining us this week and can't wait till there's another opportunity to jump on the couch with you next week.